Hello, guys. Hello, and welcome once again to the Young Entrepreneur Mindset Podcast. I am your host, Angel, and thank you guys for joining this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to the audio download, thank you for taking your time to download this audio, whether it's on Spotify, Pandora, uh, all those all those platforms that you anywhere you could get your podcast. This podcast you can find it there as well. Okay, guys. So please give us a thumbs up today. Uh, share this stream. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel what now you know what to do everything is there i'm gonna have all the links below on the description uh of this podcast video okay guys so thank you again for joining us today's a special day man I, i'm very excited i'm motivated as you can see i got my gear on everything right the 10x uh, nation 10x community all right so everyone out there that's a 10x a uh, part of this uh great uh great brand listen go ahead and write down 10x comment 10x whatnot and let's get the show on the road. Listen, today I have a special guest, man. This gentleman, his name is Jared Yellen. And if you follow him on Facebook, Instagram, all the social media accounts, even on Twitter, you can follow him there. And today he's going to be discussing about his story, how he got into that, that young entrepreneur spirit at a young age, uh, how he came up, you know, everything with this whole tech. Uh, we're going to be talking tech, entrepreneurship, marketing, sales, in between other stuff. So Guys, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Jerry. How you doing, buddy? What's up, bro? How are you? Thanks for having me. I love the yeah, game. Man. You're coming to play. You're coming to play today. I can tell. That's right, right? <laughs> rock and roll. It's rock and roll. I'm all yours. You ask me anything. I'm here to serve you and serve your community. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And, and like I said, man, I love your energy, man. That's what uh, I'm so intrigued with your energy. I know you You had some. I follow you on Facebook. I wrote to you. I said, hey, I want you my podcast. You didn't even hesitate. Within seconds, you said, let's do it. You know, and, and we got your assistant and everything to get everything settled. That's why you're here. And listen, man, I know you're going to add a lot of stuff. So listen, let's start, let's get right into it for the audience, right? For people who may not know who you are, right? We know the whole 10X, Grant Cardone, et cetera. So as you can see, I got my gear. You know, I've been following him for many years now. And and listen, man, when I saw you coming together with him and the whole team, it, it's, it's great, man. You know, great idea behind the whole tech idea. But before we get into that, you had put a, a post recently. I was watching the post. You had that photo of the mullet, you know, and, and you were yeah, that young, uh, that young entrepreneur. You know, I think you were born that young entrepreneur. But what's interesting is what you said about the photos. Like you didn't give an F about what they thought about you. Right. So what what motivated you to be like that? What, what was it? Was it maybe a role model, a father figure, mom? I don't know. Go ahead and tell us your story on that. Yeah, so I um, so what motivated the, the, the hairdo was my, my dad had a mullet too, and um, and I'm like I, I want to be like my dad. He he was uh back in the day he was he was huge like muscular and he had just a lot of presence to him. Like and he'd walk into a room, he would just command attention, and it was his physique. Like he was he was very disciplined in the gym. So right when I was young, I'm like I, I want I want that presence, and uh, mm. so I got the mullet, and and I I very early on in life just stopped caring what anyone thought like very early on yeah that level of certainty um it's just undeniable and that if someone's like what's the one thing that has allowed you to get to where you are i have zero concern about what anyone thinks about me like i don't care what my wife thinks i don't care what my mom <laughs> thinks like when i do everything it's with the right intent and if someone challenges it, it doesn't bother me because it always is the right intent. It's always pure. So in an early age, that was my commitment. Um, and what led me to that was I got 
involved with personal development really early in life because my parents okay. went through an intense divorce um, when I was five years old. Oh. Um, they, they, they were just extremely at odds. And I'm sure there was worse divorces than theirs. Um, yeah. But if someone were to ask me to define my childhood in one word, I would have said loud. Like there was nowhere to go for peace. Um, and uh, what's interesting about this story is that when I was 20 years old, I started thinking about how eventually I'm going to become a dad. And there's not many 20 year old young men that think about becoming a dad unless they're going to become a dad. Right. And I wasn't there yet, but I was thinking about it because of my childhood. And when I was 20, I said, no, something, this is my point of demarcation. Like I can make decisions starting right now that will ev forever change the trajectory of my children's life in the future. And, wow. uh, fast and one of the things that I realized when I was defining what it meant to be a dad for me was freedom. Um, it was so interesting yeah. where I was. I was 20 years old. I was, I was, uh, I was at this like coffee shop and, and I was sitting there and I was just like, literally just like introspecting. I'm like, what does it mean to be a dad? What does it mean to be a dad? And that word showed up and it, it gives me the goosebumps even when I share the story. <laughs> and I'm like, what is freedom? Like I never even thought about that word. So I yeah. took up my laptop and I just started writing and 30 minutes went by and I had seven pages of content written out. And there was 12 categories of freedom, everything from health to geographics to economics and career. And then I started wow. reading what I wrote and it was, it was wild angel. I realized I don't know one person that has this life. And that was the moment where I committed to doing what no one else that I know had ever done to produce what I now have. So 17 years later, I'm 37 now. I'm a dad. I have a five-year-old beautiful daughter. And yeah. A little rock star son, happily married. And we have that freedom. I went all in heavy and hard on entrepreneurship. I just did not stop. And not I don't stop. look back. I don't care what people think. I don't care yeah. about results. I just commit. I have a very clear outcome that I'm striving for. And that's what's produced this life. And it's all predicated on freedom. Wow, man, that's awesome, Jared. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's and, you know at, at an early age, usually, you know, I can say myself when I was in my twenties, I was thinking about you know having the fun, you know, going to the clubs and you know enjoying my my that freedom. But that freedom, as, as I was, you know, twenty one, I was on my own. But at my mindset, not to where it is now, was never thinking about you know family or financial. So, for for you, what what is your main thing as far as like when you look at goals, like how do you set your goals? Um, moonshot. So if I'm not uncomfortable with what I'm setting, then I didn't, I did, I'm, I'm sizing down. So right. I was, when I was in college, um, well, really when I was in, in, in middle school, I got, I got very intentional about my desire to, uh, become fit. And I would beg my parents, let me work out with weights. And, uh, for some reason back in the day, there was this belief that, uh, if you worked out too soon, it would stunt your growth. It's like the most ridiculous concept. Yeah. That's what my dad thought. Like, hey, you can't work out here. Stunt your growth. I'm like, what does that even mean? So I'm like, I gotta do something. So he let me do the, the rowing machine and pull-ups when I was when I was 11. And okay. I was like a beast with the rowing machine and pull-ups. Get and out of here. I got into high school. I'm like, dad, I, I'm not going to have the edge. Like, let me start lifting weights. So he's like, fine, I'm going to give you a routine. We have this really nice home gym. And every other day you can lift, but do not increase weight. So I was like, awesome. And that became my thing. Like when I got punished, like I got the gym taken from me. And uh, as I, as I progressed and I got into college, I got really passionate um, about natural bodybuilding. I never competed like this. This wasn't for the world. This was for me. Like right, this was personal. internal drive. And um, no one knew what I looked like. Cause I'd go to the gym wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants every day, but I was huge. Like I was, I was so strong as well. Like I would incline bench press 
um, over 400 pounds. Like that's, and that's heavy. It's four planes. Wow. It's heavy. And I'd always look for the smallest person in the gym. Um, and I'd be like, can you spot me? And they'd be like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, cause that's what I know. You can't help me. And it's, someone has to stand there. So they would like stand there, like so scared. And it would force me to really fight through, but I developed this premise. And this premise was if I wasn't able to access new muscles, I wasn't growing. So every time I worked out, I was sore like every time. And that's transferred yeah. over into entrepreneurship, goal setting, and just life. So exactly. I consistently size myself up and consistently do things that if I'm not uncomfortable, I'm not growing. And you all hear that. But what do you what do you do to execute on it is really the question. So for me, exactly. I set moonshots. Like I set targets that that almost seem ridiculous. Like right. if you tell somebody they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, yes, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. I'm going for something. You think I'm crazy. That means I'm doing something really big in the world. That's awesome, Jared. I, I, I like to share with you something compared to that because my goal, it was a personal goal. It's not something that I screamed and yelled at, you know, at, at, the, uh, at the air and the world. But my goal this year, 2022, for me personally, was I wanted to meet 365 people. So if we do the math, that's one person per day. Now, the challenging thing is, I, and I said this in another podcast, was that if I miss one day that I didn't meet someone, the next day I have to meet two people. See, so the math starts multiplying, right? So that's something that even though it's a far right goal, like you said, it's moonshot, right? It's way out there. But at least if I meet half of that goal, at least I'm going to have at least another over 150 people in my network. They're going to yeah. either they may, they, they may not buy my product. They may not know or even care who I am. But eventually something is going to come out of that. And that's what I, I believe in that, too. That's awesome. Yeah. Listen, like, like the discipline around consistency is an edge. Like you'll gain the edge from doing that because most people aren't consistent and very few have discipline. So if you're willing to deploy both, you create a wedge between yourself and the rest of the world. And uh, more than ever before, we need, we need lions to emerge. Like these past two years have led to a lot of sheep, like people that are just being waiting to be told what to do. And if anybody feels like I'm degrading you, that's on you. That's not on me. Like I'm not here to degrade you. I'm here to wake you up. And uh, we need people to lead, like not follow because the leadership right now is really poor leadership. So this is an opportunity right? Like what the past couple of years have, have represented for the lions of the world is the single greatest opportunity ever to make more money, create more impact, create a wedge. And, and what a wedge represents is the distance between where you are and where everybody else is. And at a certain point, that wedge becomes so extreme, no one else can catch up. But the way you get there is through the, dis- the discipline around being consistent. And do you, do you what do you think is... Uh... Well, you think some people fail at entrepreneurship, like they say, you know, they try it out, they fail. And then it's like, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm meant for this. Let me just go back to what I was doing before. It, it, why do you think people fail at entrepreneurship? Because the word you just said, they try it out. Right. So the reason I didn't fail is because I burned the boats. Like there was no other option but to make it work. Like the boats wow. were burned. Like I, I'm on my own. I got to figure this thing out. So the reason why people fail at anything, whether it's a diet or a relationship or it's a, a new habit or entrepreneurship is they're just, they're trying it out. They're different. Lack of commitment. One of the things that I talk about with our co-founders when, when we accept them into our incubator is that yeah. this is not a world for you to try out tech co-foundership. Like if that's where your head is at, then you should, you should dismiss yourself right now that's because right. it's not like, because one of the things I talk about is dependency equals death. So as an example of that, um, when somebody is launching a tech company, they need to initially get investors. And if they're dependent upon investors in order to launch their tech company, they might as well quit now. 
Because mm. like for me, I just remove dependencies from my life. And I talk about this even within personal relationships, like personal relation, intimate relationships where there's a dependency between partners. It's an unhealthy relationship. Like, yeah. and no one could argue this. Like that's just an unhealthy relationship because if one partner suffers or passes on that other person, they don't know how to operate. That's so the right. key is to have two independent people that are choosing to come together. And that's a great example for children as well. This is why I go back to the fact that there's so many sheep. These sheep are dependent upon the government or they're dependent upon the so-called leadership. Whereas yeah. the lions, they're not dependent upon anything. Like the lions are the leaders. They're the ones that are going out there and they're they're causing and they're creating. Yeah. So it's got to remove dependencies. But to answer your question, the reason why most people don't succeed in entrepreneurship is because the word try. Like they're just, they're trying. Yeah. Makes um, sense. And, uh, and I just burn the boats. Like if, if you want to be an entrepreneur, burn the boats or work for an entrepreneur. And that's, that's right. That's right. That's cool, man. I love that, man. So but I don't think it's for everybody. Listen, I don't. Like I used to think it was no. for like when You're right. Younger, I'm like, why is everybody not doing this? Until like I was fully immersed and there was like dark nights and scary moments and really uncomfortable situations. I was yeah. in. I'm like, this is why it's not for everybody. It's That's like, right. Why. But for the people who it is for, you can't try. You just got to burn the boats and go for it. That's true. That's true, man. And as like I say, you have to put in a lot. Of, you have to put in the time. I believe put in the time. I, I tell my wife, I say, look, if I sleep six hours, I got another 18 hours. So I'm going to work 18 hours as an entrepreneur. Because I'm doing it for me. I'm not working to sell my time for, for in exchange for a currency. So that's awesome. Now, let's get into that 10x incubator, right? Because first of all, I'm curious. How did you, did you pitch the idea to Grant? Well, let me take a step back. So like, how did this even, what's the genesis of it before okay. we go there? So um, I've been an entrepreneur now for, for over 17 years. I've had a really good run. Um, I've also had some, some beautiful learning experiences as well. Uh, I'm what you call a non-tech tech founder. So what that means is okay. there's not an engineering bone in my entire body. I know how to write marketing copy. And I know how to sell. Um, 10 years ago, I launched a company called Synduit. And the vision yeah. for Synduit was to build the simplest marketing software in the world and then pre-populate that software with content for every major industry and then sell the software to small business owners to use. And in my mind, this was brilliant. Like the first done for you marketing department inside of a tech product, but I didn't know where to start. I had the money to start because I just I sold a company previously, but I felt like really irresponsible to just throw money at a concept. So I figured, let me buy a little bit of time and I'll start selling myself as a copywriter because that's my skill set. Okay. So I got two pretty high profile clients to give me a shot. We did a performance deal where I would earn 30% of any new business I produced for them. And in about six months, I made them like seven and a half million dollars. So I did well economically, but more than the money, they just told everybody about me. And within 14 months, those two clients uh, became over 400 clients. And I was running a large digital and creative agency for thought leaders. And it was a great company, like big team, big office, yeah. very cash flow positive. Um, but for me, it was a means to an end. Um, I really wanted to launch this tech product. And in uh, 2011, I had clarity of what the product would do. So I started interviewing different software development firms all throughout the U.S. that were highly recommended. I hired one in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, that said that they could do it. And uh, they told me it would take 10 months and $750,000 to build the first version of the software. Wow. So I burned the boats and went all in and I funded it myself. I was writing a check for 50 to hundred grand every month for those 10 months. And at the end of 10 months, it was D-Day, demo day. So I was driving out to Boston that morning. I, I said, 
I was dating now my wife. Um, and I said to Lindsay, I'm like, Lindsay, this is our moment, like stepping into tech foundership. Just watch what happens for our life. And I drive out to Boston. I get to the office. They walk me to this beautiful conference room overlooking the city. And they're like, Jared, we're so excited to have you here. And I'm like, oh, trust me, you're not more excited than I am. Show me what you got. And they said, great. We have some good news for you. And I'm like, oh, man. You have some good news. That probably means you have some bad news too. Like, well, show me what you got. Let's see it. Yeah. I was so excited. They gave a demo and the demo was so damn good. And then it ended. It was two minutes and 12 seconds long. It ended. And I'm like, where's everything else? Like that was like, I don't know, 8% of what I thought. Like, where's everything else? Yeah. So they're like, well, that's the some bad news. The some bad news was we just miscalculated what it was going to take. So I'm like, all right, yeah. what's the damage? And they said, we need at least another 18 months and one and a half million dollars. In that moment, I became a statistic angel because that's a very common story for the non-tech tech founder who just doesn't know what they just don't know. And it was so interesting when I think back to the moment, it would have been extremely normal to be mad or sad. Like those were extremely normal emotions. But for some reason, I was neither. I felt blessed. I'm like, this is happening for me, not to me. This is part of my story as an entrepreneur. And what I realized was that in my life, I'm going to find a way to make the technology industry safe because that didn't feel safe to me it didn't feel safe to my team it didn't feel safe to my family like okay. it didn't feel it didn't feel safe to anybody yeah. the second thing that happened was i met somebody so we had 35 engineers on our team at that time uh, that we hired through this boston firm and one of them uh was is a gentleman named mani and before mani was working with me uh he lived in india and when he lived in india he started his own software development firm out of his parents, 150 square foot apartment. And three years later, uh, he had 100 employees. So outside of being a strong engineer, he's wow. a really good manager and mentor to engineers exactly. as well. He sold that company at the end of 2011 to move to the US in, in 2012. When he moved to the US, he was living on the end of my street where my original office was in England, <laughs> New Jersey. So he could have been anywhere but there. We never would have met because when he right. arrived, he had no money, he had no bike, and he had no car. But because he was in such proximity, we met. His 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 apartment building was here. My office building was here. And in between the two locations was a coffee shop, a small little coffee shop that I oh. never went to before. And for some reason, on a Tuesday morning, I'm like, I'm going to get a cup of coffee today. So I walk over to the coffee shop and I also don't small talk. So you can put me on a stage in front of 40,000 people with zero prep and I could speak the whole day. But the second I'm in an elevator with one person, I'm looking down at my phone. Like I just don't small talk. I just right. don't do it. And for some reason on this Tuesday morning, I'm like, I want coffee and I want a small talk. And luckily Monty was online with me. We started talking and I learned about him and I'm like, how long have you been here for? And he's like, two days. And I'm like, what are you doing for work? And he's like, I haven't found anything yet. I'm like, yes, you did. So I call up the firm in Boston. I'm like, I found my guy, hire him because I couldn't do it because of his visa, hire him and put him in my office. So they did. And it gave me a chance to build rapport with him and trust. And once that was established, I knew this was my guy. I ended my wow. relationship with the vendor in 2014 and Monty became my full-time CTO that, that day. And uh, it gave me the chance to really do Synduit right. And we began to build our own team, our own software development team in the U.S., in Canada. And then we hired 12 people in India as well. And when you're in tech, if you could figure out India, you're in great shape. It's just very hard to figure out India unless you have Monty, who hires his friends and his family, which was amazing. The only downside was they were all contractors. 
and hiring contractors or retaining them anywhere is hard. But in India, yeah. it's almost impossible because contractor income is not recognized by banks. So as a result, they can't get personal loans for anything, houses or cars, like nothing. So eventually they quit. And I wanted to solve this for their quality of life and for my retention. So in 2017, I set up a company in India that I own just so I can employ these 12 people. And okay. once I got it set up, I'm like, that was a lot of effort to hire 12 people. Let's use it as a recruiting tool. So we did in about 45 days, um, we had almost 25 engineers. We doubled the team. And that was my catalyst for Synduit. So today, uh, Synduit has over 40,000 active paying users on the platform across 30 industries. We did it. We built the simplest marketing software in the world and pre-populated it with content for every major industry. But the real magic of the story, because I'm going to get to your original question, which is where did Grant Cardone come in? Yeah, no, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's what happened in April of 2020. So in April of 2020, I woke up one day and I realized I'm officially obsolete at Synduit, which should be every entrepreneur's dream. So I was, I was happy about that. But I'm like, what's next for me? I'm 35 at the time. I have two beautiful young children. I'm happily married. Our life is, is, is pretty set because of Synduit. And I start thinking to myself, what's next? And all that I could see was that moment where I was unsafe, that moment when I'm like, I'm going to make the technology industry safe. And I declared that this was my moonshot. This was my moonshot time. I'm going to do something that shakes up the world or I'm going to go down trying. And what I realized that I wanted to do was what I just did with Synduit but 10,000 more times by 2031. And Angel, I don't know why it was 10,000, because that's a ridiculous number. Exactly. But you can't negotiate against the moonshot. The moonshot is the moonshot. So I called yep. up Monty on my phone, who was still my CTO at that time at Synduit. And I called up this woman, Katie, who is my director of operations. And I said, I have an idea. And I'm going to do it with or without both of you. But I can't imagine not doing it with you. But <laughs> build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years are you in? And their exact words were, we're in because it's you, but we have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. Let me explain. Yeah. We're going to launch a tech incubator, but this is not going to be like every other incubator or accelerator where we invest very little money and then offer mentorship in a classroom for three to six months. That's cool. That's just not what this is. What this is, is a place where entrepreneurs can come with their tech ideas that they've written on a napkin or a minimum viable tech product to put a little bit of money into, or even a cash flowing tech company that's plateaued, mm -hmm. they could pitch us. And when they pitch us, there's four things that we're gonna look for. The right person with the right idea in the right market and the right business model. And when those four things are present, we will co-found a company with that person. We'll both take equity in the company so our values are perfectly aligned. And then yeah. we build the entire company at cost. <laughs> Software development, go-to-market, sales, customer support, legal, fundraising, financing, bookkeeping, everything in order to build, scale, and sell the company. And about 99% of the initial cost for the minimum viable product is at cost in India in a company I've owned since 2017. So the risk is low and the cost is low. So in June of last year, June of 2020, actually, we opened up our doors for the portfolio. And since then, we've been over 14,000 people submit their tech ideas. So from around the world, literally from around the globe, yeah. 14,000, we've had about 600 of them pass the first round to actually pitch us, which is kind of like their shark tank moment. And exactly. then of the 600 ish, we said yes to, to over to about 127 companies right now. So 127 companies in our first year, which is actually more remarkable than 10,000 in 10 years, because this is the year to figure it out. Like how do you do exactly. like bookkeeping at scale, go to market at scale, biz dev at scale, customer support at scale, Software development, it's like, how do you do these things times 
127. And we, we figured it out. One thing I want to make sure everybody is aware of is we are not playing law of averages. So what right. that means is we're not we're not just launching a lot of companies and expecting a couple of winners. Everything we say yes to, we see a path to build, scale, and sell. My certainty comes from two things. One, our criteria is extremely strong. The second thing is we're vertically integrated. We've built a network of angel investor networks that invest in our deals. Uh, we have a very interesting crowdfunding platform built on the blockchain. So we can sell perpetual use license to early stage tech. Uh, okay. We're setting up a fund as we speak. So we have all these vertical integrations, but here's what I've learned. And this is where Grant Cardone comes in. I learned how to get attention and how to keep attention. And there's three steps in the process. The first is declare your moonshot. So for me, it's build, scale, sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. The second thing that I did is I took what I call maniac action. So what maniac action means is you take so much action so quickly that anyone that's watching you, they think you're crazy and onto something at the same time. <laughs> they don't know what to think. And the yeah. third thing is, is you talk about what you're doing incessantly as if it's already happened. And that's what I did. And as a result, I have a ton of attention. I have attention from athletes and celebrities, Silicon Valley, private equity, venture capital, big tech, billionaires. And one of the people we got the attention of unintentionally was Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. And uh, he heard about me about nine months ago. And he's like, this dude is crazy or he's on something, but I got to meet him. And I, I, I live in Florida. So he invited me out to his office and I didn't know Grant at all. Like I knew of him, like the way that uh, yeah. 15 million people did, but I didn't know him personally. Right. And I was definitely not going to do a deal. That wasn't even on my mind. I was just right. going to meet him. And we met and we ended up speaking for about four hours that first time. And we really hit it off. Like our values are aligned, our desire to create an even playing field. Um, and about an hour into the meeting, Angel, he said to me, Jared, that chair you're sitting in right there, uh, my sales team sells that chair for $100,000 an hour. And when somebody pays it, I, I, I put the money in my foundation. He's a foundation to uh, help children that don't have a father figure because he didn't have a father figure. Yeah. Um, and once they pay it, they can come out to the office and they have an hour with me to do whatever they want. They can pitch me. They can ask me for advice. We can have lunch together. Like it's their hour. And here's what I know to be true. Um, you, you didn't spend $100,000 sitting in that chair because I invited you here. And you're not asking me for anything. You're not asking me for advice. You're not asking me for money. Like you're not asking for anything. So I'm going to ask you for something. And he stood up. So I stood up too, just instead of being socially normal. Yeah, yeah. He put his hand out and he said, I want to invest in what you're doing. And I want to support you to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. And it made sense to have him get involved as, as an investor and as a partner in the venture. Because what we're doing in the technology industry prior to Grant has never been done before. I mean, there's yeah. never been a company that can literally take a napkin and turn it into a tech company. Like it just never happened. And what Grant has from a platform perspective, from an attention, from an audience perspective is also very unique. So when you bring that together, it's what we call disruption. And that's what we're doing. We stand to democratize the technology industry because right now the vast majority of tech it resides in Silicon Valley in, uh, in California, which is the most pretentious place in the world to be. Because if you don't have the right skin color, right ethnicity, right gender, right pedigree, right college, right bank account, right everything, you can't even buy a cup of coffee there. Exactly. And I just stand against it. We have founders in, in a village in, in New Zealand, all across the U.S., literally from around the world. Because what we don't care about is where someone's been or even where they are. All we care about is where they want to go. And when go. the right person shows up, 
with the right idea and the right market and the right business model, we give them a shot. So that's what we're up to. That's where Grant came in. The reason why Grant stood up is a great lesson for anyone that wants to attract anyone that you would consider to be like a, like a step up. The yeah. reason why he stood up and put his hand out and said, I want to partner with you is because I had leverage. And that might sound like crazy. Like, how do you have leverage over Grant? I had leverage because he knew that right. I was doing this with or without him. And he knew he couldn't do it without me. And that's cool. yeah. And if you want to get anyone's attention, like anyone, because we give people pitches ideas all the time. They're like, oh, like my go-to-market strategies, I'm going to get Gary V to promote this. I'm like, how do you have leverage over Gary? They're like, well, I don't. I'm like, well, then he's not going to promote it. They're like, well, how do I get leverage? I'm like, that's for you to figure out. But exactly. what you got to do is you got to let him know, I'm doing this with or without you, Gary, and you can't do this without me. Let's go. And if you get mm. to that point, you have leverage. And yeah. every meaningful person on the planet, every person that's achieved high levels of success, they are more opportunistic now than ever before, and they don't want to miss out on things. So if you can show them a scenario where they're going to miss out by not saying yes to you, then you're going <laughs> to say yes to you. So that's the secret to getting high leverage people to say yes to what you're offering. No, it is. Because, I mean, especially when you look at the investors, investors, if, if, if you're strong like that and they see the idea and you're going with it, they're like, wait a minute, I, let me grab this guy now before somebody else does and i miss out on that opportunity. investors not going to miss out on the opportunity they're just not going to do no it. no they fear of missing out is what drives investors to say yes so that's right that's the story of grant and uh it's it's a blast we're doing some incredible things in the world uh we have other partners in the venture as well that are that are in yeah their world they're they're of significance so that's what we stand to do i know this is bigger than me I know this is bigger than Grant, and this is bigger than everybody. So we just need yeah. to have a lot of the right people that are involved because it's never been done. And when it when it happens, what happens now is we shift the power from these like handful of big tech companies and we okay. democratize it across 10,000 of them. And that's really inspiring. It is. It is. So when they go to that website there, they submit their ideas, right? Uh, there has to be a tech idea. Now, right. when, when, they say, when, when we talk about like the tech idea, this is, for example, maybe someone that's watching this now and they don't know. What exactly tech? Could it be an app? Could it be a, a website, etc., something like that? Yeah. So it's it's every we're, we have we're very diverse in what we're building, but everything okay. from apps to social media platforms to to membership like like subscription based SaaS products to business technology to country technology to okay. um, marketplaces. Uh, it just has to be tech, and it's not a website. It's something that we can build IP in, and then we can, as a result of that IP start selling it as a subscription or collecting data. And that data has a meaningful value associated with it. And then we go on a exactly. journey to build, scale, and sell. Perfect, man. That that sounds awesome. So the next 10 years, uh, 10,000 tech companies, 10X incubator. And so when everyone, if you're listening right now, guys, go to that website there. I'm looking at the page right here. It has all the information. Very simple. You submit your idea. Now, uh, um, Jared, what would be like the the wait time? Is it depend? I know you probably guys are getting swamped like with millions of people submitting their ideas. What, what's the way? Maybe the wait time. Yeah, no, we, we work through it. Yeah, we don't let people wait if they got great ideas. But the way the process works, you fill out a written application. It's free. The idea review committee reviews these applications in real time. Um, if we see potential, we invite you to our show. We have a show called 10X Tech Tank. It's a daily show, uh, Monday through Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 Pacific Time. This is like Shark Tank. It's just cooler. Yeah, um, I've seen that every night on YouTube. Shark Tank's great. Like I love Shark Tank. It's, uh, it's the American dream. It's giving people a chance. But the thing with Shark Tank, for the most part, the people that are pitching their ideas, they're they're not changing the world, these ideas. Like like Scrub Daddy is a really awesome sponge. But like your life is as good with or without Scrub Daddy. 
Um, whereas the stuff that we hear on our show, it's like game changing technology. Like it, yeah, is, it is off the charts technology. So if we see potential, we have you pitch on the show. The show gets picked up by tens of thousands of people for every episode on the show. We decide whether or not we want to move into due diligence with you. Exactly. If yes, we spend about 60 to 90 minutes together with a number of the executives on our team virtually to really start digging into those four things, person, idea, market, and business model. And if we see potential there, we then go into co-foundership with you. We co-found the company. We get the company funded. We start building it and then going to market and then scaling it and then going on the road to an exit because that's what we stand to do. Build, scale, yeah. sell, build, scale, sell every company that comes through the portfolio. Perfect, man. That's that's very clear, man. I appreciate it. So, Jerry, man, best of luck with everything, man. I know. Thank you for those that that moonshot, you know, go. I'm going to keep that in mind and, and put that in practice as well. So, Jerry, I know you're busy, man. Man, I appreciate your time. Blessings to you and your family, man. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a, it's a great honor to have you, man. Pleasure's mine, man. Love what you're doing. Go go meet somebody else today. Get two people today. So go Exactly. Double up. Size up. Appreciate you. Be well. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. You too. Take Bye. care. All right, folks, so there you have it, man. Jared Yellen, look him up. Also, 10xincubator.com. Look up the website. If you have a tech idea, man, listen, this is opportunities like the Shark Tank for product. You know, I have a product here, Pro Kevlock, that we're going to be launching in Shark Tank one day. But, you know, it's all about just continue. Just keep uh, thriving. Keep going for that dream. If you have a tech idea, listen, man, the Grant Cardone, uh, Jared, uh, everyone's out there. They have, uh, I invite you to go to the YouTube. They also have, um, every night at 8 PM, they have live, uh, segment and you can see what, how people are pitching. So you can have an idea, right? So guys, thank you once again for joining this podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram under angel Santos podcast and Twitter under angel Santos 75. All right. And also my business websites, they're all, uh, on the link below. And whatnot, you have them there on the screen. So, guys, I'm going to leave you here on a positive note as usual. And on Proverbs 10.8, it says, Sensible people accept good advice. People who talk foolishly will come to ruin. So there you have it, guys. Listen, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Uh, I hope you have a great and safe weekend. Be blessed. God bless you. Blessings to everyone. Thank you for the comments. I've seen here a lot, a lot of comments and whatnot. So please go ahead and uh, submit your comments, uh, share, give us a like and whatnot. And I look forward to the next segment and I hope you guys could join me on the next episode. So thank you guys for watching the Young Entrepreneur Mindset Podcast. I'll see you next time. God bless. Take care. Uh-huh.